Welcome to Big Blend Radio with your hosts, Lisa and Nancy, editors of BigBlendMagazine.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Big Blend Radio's writers and authors show that we do every second Wednesday with our friends over at Books Forward. And today we're very excited to welcome back Sid Ballman. Uh, we first met him with the first of his trilogy, uh, Seventh Flag, then again with his second novel in the trilogy, Murmuration. And today we're so happy because he's joining us with the third novel in the series called Algorithms. Uh, that will be out August 1st, 2023, but you can get it now by pre-ordering. So you can go to SidBallman.com, Amazon, all those places, bookshop.org. We love them too, um, especially if you want to get books in your local bookstore and support your local bookstores. But uh, first, welcome back, Sid. How are you? Oh, thank you. It's so great to be back. Uh, seems like yesterday, but it's been a couple of years. Mm -hmm. I yeah, cool, because every time we talk to you, we're somewhere in the Southwest. <laughs> well, you got to love it out here. Yeah. Yeah. So mm -hmm. you're in West Texas, right? Um, you're out um, by Big Bend National Park. Beautiful, beautiful area. And we're in West Texas recording today when the stairs, we, we won't, we, well, we might be here. You never know. Um, but we're in Lubbock. So is this still considered West Texas? Yes. Okay. And you've been here, right? Oh, yeah. And uh, I'm hoping to be there for a book event when the first book comes out. It's third oh, book. Oh, third book. Yeah. This is, you got a trilogy. So are you going to do a book tour? Yes. Um, uh, this awesome. is going to We've tried all different kinds of formulas. Um, this one is going to, we're going to try smaller independent bookstores throughout the yeah. Southwest. So um, we'll launch here with the home team, uh, Front Street Books in Alpine, Texas, where I live. Nice. Uh, and then go on to um, uh, Tucson and um, nice. Staff and Amarillo, possibly Lubbock, Dallas, Austin, mm. Seguin, um, um, and um, San Angelo. Oh, I have to nice. tell you, last year we thought of you. We were driving from Lubbock, actually. We did it. We were on our way to Oregon, so we decided to go through Tucson to get to Oregon because that's what everybody does. But it was it was it was winter, I think, for some. Yeah, it was it was kind of wintry spring. And um, but we went down. We went through. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. There was some wildlife refuge we went to, like south southwest, but ended up going past Carlsbad Caverns and Guadalupe national uh park we were driving through there and you could see the shadow of the mountain and i'm like dell texas isn't this where sid's place is this is like sid's country right here and it's uh -huh. nighttime. but we had a full moon shining dell city yeah. that's where that's where those books start mm -hmm. so right, yeah tell everybody let's go like kind of for new listeners um let's kind of give an overview of, of the seventh flag trilogy. Cause that really is the, the trilogy name and start with seventh flag. I know the very first time you're on the show, the first thing we started talking about was camels in the desert. Yeah. <laughs> I'll never forget that conversation. It was like the highlight <laughs> you know, for, because it's like, nobody talks about camels in the American desert, but you sure did. Um, so it was more historical, but tell everybody about uh, Dell because it's, it's, it's not Dell computers, by the way. No, no. Um, well, as you said, it's a trilogy. It starts after just after World War II, and the third book begins, um, goes 30 years into the future. Um, and the beating heart of the trilogy, these novels, um, takes place in Dell City, Texas, which is exactly where you described. It's at the base of the Guadalupe Mountains, about 80 miles east of El Paso, town of about 400 people. Um, mm -hmm. An iconic place in America. Mm -hmm. and a lot of um, iconic places and iconic activities are the platform that I rest a lot of the story on because in the end, it's a book about what you, what links us all together rather than what separates us as we're mm -hmm. seeing. Mm -hmm. But it looks at two families. One is a prosperous, um, after the war, one is a prosperous ranching family. And one is a family of Syrian Muslim immigrants who um, people might not know, but Texas has the largest Muslim population in the country. 
Um, and one, one of the reasons, and that's what I use, is that back in, um, in the mid-1800s, um, the United States launched something called the U.S. Camel Corps, a division of the cavalry. And they shipped a bunch, bought a bunch of camels in um, the Middle East mm -hmm. and camel handlers and brought them to Indianola, just south of Houston, and they migrated into the West. Um, and um, that's how this family of Syrian Muslim immigrants um, gets there. The camels are still around. Um, mm -hmm. The camels are still around. Um, so that's, it's these two families. It doesn't, um, it doesn't take place by, by a long shot all in West Texas. Um, these families, um, I mean, the book ultimately is about this radicalization we have seen progress um, over the decades to where we are today, seeing such things as the assault on the Capitol and mm -hmm. the dangerous divisions in our country. Um, so the book is about this radicalism that has, is plaguing the world, plaguing America. And then also what it means to be an American. And that's to be an American then, today, and in the future. Mm. Um, so the books follow the travails of four generations uh, of these two families as they engage in iconic activities like playing football in West Texas, uh, you know, joining the military, um, um, uh, you know, ranching, just um. all kinds of things um and you know sort of traces the politics of the country the, the temperature of the country along the way through these generations um so the first book sort of sets it up it begins um it ends with the um with 9 11. the second book picks up there um and it looks at the experience in somalia same family members particularly the one character who sort of organically emerged, certainly my favorite, and is organically emerged as the main character, Adamar, Adamar Zarkhan, who is a Syrian Muslim, Texan American. Um, and she's the anchor of the of the story. She goes to West Point, she becomes a sniper, she ends up based in Somalia, and her translator is a Somali man, uh, Charlie Christmas. And this book I remember more, this, yeah. <laughs> sort of roams into, um, you know, Kenya, the refugee experience in Kenya, you know, because the refugee mm -hmm. experience is so central, really, to all of us, except for people who are indigenous to this country. Um, and goes up to Minnesota, which is the largest, has the largest um, Somali population in the country. And, um, you know, again, delves into these issues of radicalism and, one of the uh, family members becomes an ISIS recruit, and um, it goes, uh, you know, it, it sort of wanders into the Southwest and starts to really um, merge into um, what we see today, what I call domestic terrorism. You know, the, the kinds of shootings we're seeing with mm. sickening regularity, why people are doing that, what radical mm -hmm. people are doing like that. You know, you know, so it, the book that book sort of roams into the West, goes to South Dakota, it intersects, and this is really the first. In the first book, it didn't have us, but this is where um, themes about indigenous, the indigenous in this country. Um, I spent, uh, you know, I did a lot of research with the um, Lakota Sioux in South mm. Dakota, and then also for the third book with the Humara uh, in northern Mexico. That's what, mm -hmm. that's what they're called. That's what we call them. But they prefer to be called the Rara Murray. means the running people. Maybe mm -hmm. you've seen pictures of them. They run hundreds of miles through the desert. Um, and the reason I sort of, the reason that I became affixed on indigenous people and their resiliency, and that sort of led into the third book, is that, you know, these are people who have survived in a certain way forever. I mean, well, the, the Sioux in, in South Dakota, of course, they were beset by, you know, encroached upon by modern problems, but the Rara Murray really had not. They just kind of receded into the mountains around Creel and Chihuahuasin. And, um, you know, as you, you know, going into the third book, which takes place 30 years in the future after an apocalypse, you know, 
the, what I call the fall, the end of civilization as we know it, primarily because of technology run amok, which is very relevant now with chat. Really? <laughs> and um, and um, that, you know, so I had a, and I'm sort of going, all of these are points we can come back to, but um, I had a, I guess, really a true muse um, for the third book. Um, a friend who is um, has some indigenous background, some Irish background, and she uh, really opened my eyes to this whole notion of of the indigenous way of life and how they're so uniquely um, positioned to survive something like the fall of civilization because they've mm -hmm. been so basic. It's been so basic for them most of their lives. Mm -hmm. That's a that's little, in a nutshell, that's a, that's a lot. You, you've, in all three books, have um, put women at the forefront of as, as, as strength. Mm -hmm which is something I know Nancy has read algorithms and she just kept, I mean, she ruins mm. books for me. She really does, but it's a good thing when she ruins books for me and then I have to wait a little bit and then go read them. Cause she's like, you're not going to believe what Sid just wrote now. I'm like, I do believe it. <laughs> you can mm. go there. Um, but you put women at the forefront. And, and before we get mm. to that point, I do want to give mm. people a little bit of your background too, that you're a Pulitzer nominated national security correspondent, uh, also writer in residence at Sol Ross uh, State University. You've covered wars in the Persian Gulf, Somalia, Bosnia, Herzegovina, uh, Kosovo. I didn't even say that right. Excuse me. And um, you've also traveled with American presidents, secretaries of states. Um, so when we talk, I want people to understand your background that this this isn't you just doing historical research. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, no it's, um, I mean, it's, people ask me, you know, and I just, I spoke about this subject at a conference in Fort Worth a couple of weeks ago about the bridge between journalism and fiction. Mm. And, um, you know, every journalist, you've probably heard me say this before, sort of a standard talking point, but every journalist thinks they have a story in their back pocket. And that's kind of what spurred me on to write this first book. I felt like I had a lot of stories to tell. Um, and all three books are infused with my experiences. Um, in Texas or in Somalia or, you yeah. know, writing about and working with violent extremism and violent extremists. So, um, I mean, I even, if people, you know, it's funny, one a little game I play is I always sort of do a can't put myself in the book, my actual self, as a cameo. And so there may be a news conference, for example, before the Iraq war and, and the press secretary will call on journalists and he'll call on Sid Ball. Oh, there you so, go. See, always a little, a little cameo by me. Yeah, but traveling mm -hmm. and seeing the world and gives you that perspective of, yeah, this stuff can really happen. And when we talk about, mm -hmm. you know, radicalization Why? and um, radicalism, radicalization, all of this um, shootings, like we were talking about, you know, the Capitol being overthrown and, you know, all of these things that, mm -hmm happen you've witnessed a lot of it and seen it and understand what the presidential responsibilities are and how it can be misused as well i think nancy was saying you you can't cover misuse um, especially in algorithms i think it's i look at it you know when we Good look choice at choice of words lisa i am i uh oh they have email me i don't care um, mm. when you look at the internet now and algorithms, I thought was such what I saw, you use that as a title. I was like, yeah, because we're, I mean, I almost feel like it's a form of whitewashing and programming human beings in this really corrupt way. It's really, really sick. Actually, when you look at not just, you know, we all use Google and marketing and all of that, but it's gone mm. a bit beyond. And then now we're like, Oh, Sid, why don't you write a book on AI? Come on, I'm sure they can have your experience but, and just, you know, write it. So we're getting into this weird zone. And when you think at the same time, we have governments mm -hmm. with people that don't even know how to use the internet, how to even well, yeah. type an email, 
and mm -hmm. don't understand the power of AI. They don't, I mean, we've had we've had people in big leadership roles, doesn't mean that they led, who don't understand the internet. Did did that come to play for you in, in writing algorithms? I'm about okay. to get into a rant. <laughs> well, very much. Um, so we're just, you know, we're on the final final before the book is now going to go to the printer. And so mm -hmm. uh, they call it the fourth, it's now the fourth pages. They call it. Um, and I've been really focusing the last few months, in part because of school, but uh, just because of interest, on this, um, on chat GPT. Mm. And it very, you know, when I wrote algorithms a year ago, I it hardly even it wasn't really even available to, you know, like yeah. it is now. Um, but as I was getting ready to give the final sign off on the book, I said, you know, wait a second. I think I would be remiss if we didn't put a few references to chat in there. Mm. So we pulled it back. I put in a few more references and now it's ready to go. But um, I think that, you know, chat and algorithms, it's all sort of shorthand um, for the way that, in my mind, um, the digital world is subsuming the natural world, certainly, um, and how, you know, the scary way in which um, chat can complete computer code for a programmer, um, mm. you know, do all sorts of things. And that's really what's at the heart. That's what leads to the fall of civilization and algorithms um, is that it just runs them up and they can't do anything, whether it's on the farm mm -hmm. in West Texas where the, you know, the internet linked pivot sprinkler system isn't working properly or whether the, um, you know, the South Korean military because of uh, AI misreads mm -hmm. and it triggers, you know, a, a catastrophe. Um, and of course, there's, you know, along with, you know, all these things tracking together, you know, the digital, digital coup, if you will, the machine coup, you know, things what people like Stanley Herbert wrote about and, and others, um, or it's climate, you know, climate plays a big role in algorithms too, the climate change and the disasters that are coming and, and of course, radicalization. And that's, you know, I say it was sort of fun to look at it and predict it, but, you know, it's sort of scary the way it's kind of coming true. Well, I wonder about it too, because it's interesting, you know, with us traveling, we go into different situations of um, what happens internet-wise. Like, as you know, we, we actually had to postpone recording your interview with you because of an internet outage. And what happens is what we see as we travel, you know, we pet sit as we travel and people are controlling everything by their phone. And we, mm -hmm. I mean, we were in a circumstance in one place where what was happening with heating in Wisconsin winter, by the way, through a snowstorm, what was happening there versus what they were seeing on their phone was two different things. And I had to take photos, like show them, look, there's something wrong. There's no heat. It's cold. <laughs> and so, but what's mm -hmm. happening on their phone is not, so it's not perfect. And people run things on the internet and they'll leave their house. And wonder mm -hmm. why suddenly if there's an internet outage, your irrigation doesn't work. Your security cameras don't work. All let's go through the list or, of things that and, and it could be just or your pet, your pet isn't getting fed from fed. the automatic yeah. feeder. Yeah. So there's these things that people are doing just on yeah. the most basic things, thinking internet is always there. And I'm always like, I carry a day timer. Like I handwrite things because we know internet goes out. There's hurricanes, there's floods, there's, I mean, we've been through tornadoes even on, on this tour and we're like, things go out and go wrong. And if you don't have that sensibility of how the land works, like you're talking about the indigenous people, you're, you're up a, up a little Creek. But I also think with all of this, we also have the other side. Like I look at and I'm not being anti-elder. I just don't believe we should have elders running countries who don't understand the internet or AI when on the other side, we do have extremist groups and, and the mm -hmm. radicals, like you're saying, 
who understand how to use WhatsApp and all these other under, and I know you've got a big background in, in understanding that when, when you can see that this is being used for human trafficking, um, it is being used to control others in all kinds of situations in different worlds, uh, different countries, I should say. Um, so we have all of this going on. And so when do those people meet with what's going on? Yet it's not always just internet, right? It's not just Google. It is like data and it's it's such a weird world because they can play with satellites and, and cell phone technology, but I feel like they're all connected because sometimes when El Chapo got put to prison, we were in the town when where they dropped him off. Oh, that and was when cool. he flew in, everything went out. Cool. Everything, yeah. lights out. Internet, cell phone, obviously. everything went out. And then once the helicopter left, everything came back on. And we know mm -hmm. a lady who's in, in, in Fort law enforcement, and, and she was actually at that state prison or that supermax prison mm -hmm. uh, with Kaczynski. Yeah. And when they brought him in, she got mm -hmm. locked in to their, um, they have a, like a thing for holding rations, cell. holding like a, like mm -hmm. a thing for if the, you know, the apocalypse happens, they have food for the, these prisoners. She got locked in there until he was safely put in his cell because of escaping. So they knocked everything out, like cell and mm -hmm. internet. So how, like when you talk about, I know this is like 20 questions in one, but I'm trying to get to, like, it's all frigging connected. And they can't tell you, they can't tell you, obviously, that they're going to take everything down. No, but I mean, someone. But, but when you think about algorithms and here's yeah. all this digital stuff, can it be taken out through the internet and through data or like, can it all meet and, and take us out like you were writing well, about? Like, I think the scary part is that I think there will be a time when machines can do it without human command. That's the essence of smart machines, right? Mm -hmm. a long way from an expert, but I'm learning more about it. So in algorithms, the way it happens is oh. that um, you know the algorithms have sort of taken hold, and the presidents, you know, nuclear war is presidents, the presidents of China, Russia, the UK, um, and America are meeting and having a virtual meeting, and they're on the verge of pushing the nuclear button when um, the hacker group, anonymous, and this is a little bit of a spoiler. <laughs> But you know the hacker group Anonymous um, mm -hmm. intervenes and turns off the internet. Essentially, it suspends disbelief a little bit, um, but um, you know it's fiction. So, and that's when the fall. That's when the fall happens, and um, mm -hmm. the world just falls into this um, into these um, sort of self-ruling fiefdoms all over the world. And of course, the ones I concentrate are the laws and the Zarkans in West Texas. Um, their allies in the uh, the Rauramuri people in northern Mexico, the Lakota Sioux in South Dakota. Um, and then, you know, it's all sort of microcosm for everything else in the world. We don't see what's going on elsewhere. But their arch enemy is um, this group of highly radicalized um, women called the Sisterhood. And it's led by, um, ironically enough, an indigenous woman who was, you know, lived a horrible life on a, a reservation. You know, a, a woman is three times more likely to be raped on a reservation than any other woman anywhere else in this country. Yep. And she's, and she leads this, this, this sect of, of women warriors. And that's the, that's the con sort of the conflict. Um, and what they are all um, going after are um, the algorithms to sort of get things started again. And the way that, and the device I use for that, um, and this just came to me, there's a, there's a, there's a, uh, I was driving around and was listening to a radio show and a song about um, this whale. His name is 52 Blue. It's a real whale. It's an actual mm -hmm. whale that they tag and they've been following for 
for decades. And it's become sort of a cult hero, a, a social media hero. And um, there's a band that has done a, done a very, actually a very good kind of a rock song about 52 Blue. And I was thinking about that and sort of how to tie it in. And again, my, my muse um, helped me a little bit. So there's a, um, the way that these algorithms have, have kind of been compacted is that there's a, a marine acoustics scientist in Washington based on a real person. Everything's based on real people um, who sort of sees things coming. And her job is to monitor a specific undersea cable, internet cable, that carries mm. all the traffic of the internet. Of course, that doesn't actually exist. But again, you know, you know, it's fiction. We do have underlying cables going to India with internet. Oh, we have them everywhere. everywhere. But yeah. there's not just one one. Yeah. So what she does is she cuts yeah. into the cable. She sees the apocalypse coming. She cuts into the cable, downloads everything, all the algorithms into a box of several hard drives and implants them into the back fin of this white 52 blue. And so while this is a journey of the laws and the Zarkans and the Native Americans, it's also a journey, a whole several sections of the book are about the journey of this sentient whale that has mm -hmm. this, this, this sort of mythical connection and this sort of collective unconscious connection um, to a 12 year old girl in West Texas who happens to be Adamar Zarkan's granddaughter. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I don't want to bore your, your listeners, but just a short passage can really explain oh, yeah. it. Better than I can, let me just read this. So this is, um, the young girl's name is Arwen, you know, she's Adamar Zarkan's grand, great granddaughter. And she has uh, just had a conversation with one of these Rara Murray people, and she's sort of reflecting. And this, I guess, is really kind of the kernel of the book that connects all of these concepts. So I'll just I'll read it. It's very short, one, two paragraphs. Um, it made sense to the young girl who had experienced that profound linkage in her psychic connection to 52 Blue, but she didn't have the term, Terra Algorithm. There's another term that applies to the phenomenon of the Murray and the unique purpose they and other indigenous people like White Eagle's origin tribes of the Mountain West have in the universe. Mathematicians who study chaos theory, which seeks to explain connections between seemingly random occurrences, refer to it as the butterfly effect. Meteorologist Edward Lorenz coined the term in the 1960s, reasoning that small changes in atmospheric conditions could have dramatic impacts on weather thousands of miles away, like carbon emissions in China, triggering a chain of events that over time melt polar ice. It is as if there's a linear relationship between a small gust of air from the wing of a butterfly and something else on the other side of the world. As if a giant blue whale deep in the Pacific Ocean leaps from the water and a 12-year-old redheaded girl in West Texas dreams about it or a grotesque contest in a makeshift New Mexico bullring is countered in the calculus of the earth by a peaceful centuries old game of Rala Chipame. That is why the Rara Murray endure. They are the counterweight on the other end of the existential teeter-totter that maintains balance in the universe. Wow, that's so true. The butterfly effect, I haven't heard that for ever. Long time. Yeah, I was going to say, isn't there a band name of that, too? Um, no, I love that because it's so true. These little things and, the and you know, these theories of chaos and understanding. Because it, it's never clean. <laughs> that, that was, again, you know, I mentioned this muse, but that was this muse I had. I mean, but that was another, that was something she had a, you know, sort of turned me on to. Was mm -hmm. that whole idea of, uh, kind of what I just read. It goes yeah. right perfect after murmuration. You've got all the birds and the butterflies now and, and a whale. So I was like, I'm laughing. Our background, for those listening, our, our Zoom background, Nancy and I have West Texas and um, and then Sid's cover with a blue whale. So it's like, it's, it, it's like, wow, you know, to, to be able to do that. It, but it's, um, 
it's really when you think about these small things and the ripple effect, how wide something can go, right? And how fast once it starts to happen, you know? And, you know, we're talking about artificial intelligence. I mean, just look how quickly it's, it's moving. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, Elon Musk and others um, issued a public letter calling on the government to bring a pause to all AI because they don't mm -hmm. You know, and if you if you read about the people who are doing it, these they don't really even understand it. And then no, no. And there's already lawsuits about it. They're already suing each other over copywritten, like copy. There's copyrights over content that AI did and stole from somebody else. And so, like people's voices, journalists are getting it. I mean, people, they're they're. It's getting a little crazy. <laughs> It's well, AI doesn't at this point isn't doing anything original. It's just bringing together. It. But it will start doing things that are it will. that it produces on its own. Sid, do you remember Y two K? And everybody was scared of all of that. And I, I at that point went, I'm ready for that. Like I'm, I'm cool if we pull the plug on this stuff now because just let me go and be on a farm and land and. You know, but here we are doing all this digital stuff, right? So that, that went out the window. But if we think about that fear of Y2K and then everybody's telling us to go buy our peanut butter flour and whatever stuff and all of that. And now we think about Y2K was only 23 years ago, <laughs> barely 23 I, I, years ago. I, like, look how we look how quick that is. That is actually fast. I don't think we should live in fear. But we should live in knowledge and we should keep our eyes open and understand the possibilities. And just because you drive a whatever car and you go to this corporate building every day and you do your 12 hours or whatever it is of work doesn't make you right. It just makes us what you do mm. and make money to feed your family. How about to step outside mm of your own life and start looking at the repercussions what is it that we do that you're not very land? good at being what? a radical now i think it's pretty <laughs> radical actually no but, but it's step outside your own your own life and start looking at the connection to yourself and the world you live in and even the worlds beyond that other planets mm -hmm. How about looking at it as huge, like the whole universe, not just Earth. It's the web of life. It, 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 it's, yeah, the whole ball of wax, so to speak. Well, I, and in thinking about what you do, why you do it, how you do it, and is there a better way? Now, you're not always going to know a better way, but most of us do know the wrong way. We do know that mm -hmm. it's the easy way. Well, I, I want to say this go with what you're saying. And then also said you, you talked about nature, right. And climate uh -huh. and all of this being connected. Oh yeah. And what Nancy is saying too, the, the web of life, you, you know, go to a national park and mm -hmm. you talk with a park ranger or do any of those ranger programs mm -hmm. and they'll start telling you about the web of life and make free COVID mm -hmm. everybody hold hands and understand that if you raise your hand, this is going to do this over here. So like if you kill, a certain yucca plant in the desert, mm -hmm. then there's a skipper yeah. butterfly that's going to die. This is there's there's mm -hmm. one specific yucca it, outside yeah. um an Anza Borrego desert, so this Colorado desert. And if you kill mm -hmm. this yucca, which we're getting in trouble because of so much um housing projects and mm -hmm. stuff, but you kill that, this butterfly, this little skipper butterfly will die. And the century plant that it really is only blooms once or not a century uh, once every hundred years and this butterfly mm -hmm. knows about this and this whole cycle happens that plant dies that dies and then they will not exist anymore so it's like mm -hmm. we're always trying to explain this concept in nature because we're connected mm -hmm. to that as human beings and i think that's kind of ties into what you're doing with algorithm because we do have a hand in it but as soon as mm -hmm. we're not conscious it will take over because eventually we're the ones who started this whole algorithm, even though nature 
has that, it's like a domino effect. It can move so fast and so quickly. So I think that's what's cool about what you've read, like to get people to be aware. I mean, I know well, you're writing for entertainment too, but I'm just saying. I mean, there's one, so sort of, sort of relevant to what you just said. There's one scene in the book where um, mm. when this 12-year-old redheaded girl um, is down in Big Ben National Park. And of course, like all my books, there's a lot of stuff about the Southwest and about West Texas, but um, it happens to be a time when the 17 year cicada is supposed to emerge. Oh, oh yeah, cool. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Down here, we don't really, it's more of an East Coast phenomenon, but there's some of it here. And so um, she um, is, is, you know, waiting for these cicadas to come out. And because of, mm -hmm climatic changes and various things, the cicadas, a cicada does emerge, but it's completely charred and desiccated. And, you know, it's this, mm -hmm. this great sort of natural phenomenon that just stops. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what, yeah. what impact is that going to have on other things? Um, mm -hmm. that's, and it's, it's that, that's what the Terra algorithm means. I mean, it's a play on words. So there's algorithms, then there's this Terra algorithm, which Terra is Earth, the Earth algorithm, something that we're all connected to. And in this book, it becomes a, it provides a sort of telepathic connection between, for example, the whale and the young girl. It's this mm -hmm. Terra. But we do have it. You know, if you think, so the running people, right? And you think about the indigenous people have always moved. So, um, in central, let's say central Arizona, Tonto National Monument um, has the history of the Salida people, and or Salida or Salada, Salado, and um, Salida's in Colorado. <laughs> I've got to get my names here, and they did. They say like they just disappeared. We don't know if it was hunting, if it was this. And I'm like, well, if you look, the Arizona Museum, State of Arizona Museum in Tucson has an incredible Native American pottery collection, which we were very lucky to be able to go behind in the archives with the main archive dude the pottery dude like literally years ago opening up all and seeing all this ancient pottery and he was showing us this map of the migration of all the indigenous people and mm -hmm. how they moved in how they had to it's resources is it hunting is it water is it change in land or was it white people coming through and, and you know messing with them you know so they kind of had that connection of always moving and I, I just kind of feel like when you talk about the Terra and and there's a DNA thing I always say we as human beings end up going to places and sometimes you're going to find a connection that you didn't understand why and I think it goes back to our DNA in some reason so like we you know the Mexican-American war here we are America and you're on the border how many families do you think have this internal DNA magnetic drive, like birds who migrate, right? They know where mm -hmm. they're going. Why wouldn't humans have that DNA connection and that magnetic force to travel? Yes, for necessity, like I was saying, with the thought of people moving. Yeah, but, but that's it could, thought out. Yeah, but it could be from past experience, there's this DNA that humans have. If you come from Mexico, today's Mexico, but your family was over the border, isn't there a pull to go there because your DNA comes from there? What do you think of that? I'm not trying to get woo-woo. I'm just <laughs> saying. <laughs> um, well, you know, sometimes the most we ignore the most obvious things. Mm -hmm. And your, you know, this sort of DNA proclivity you might have to do something that centuries of your people have done. It just doesn't, I don't think people recognize it in themselves. You know, they're out of touch with themselves and, and with the universe. But, you know, I'm just thinking here, I look in your backdrop there, looks like Seminole Canyon to me, which is a canyon kind of halfway between here and San Antonio. Um, it is one of the original homelands of the Royal Murray, um, who some say are the 
maybe some of the first people. And there's a Seminole wow. National Park. Some of the oldest petroglyphs in the world are there. Maybe you've seen them. And there's a there's a scene in my book that takes place there under this this one cave art, piece of cave art called the White Shaman. Mm. A very famous old um, um, work of art by the the original people. And it's a it's it's um you know it's a, a holy man, a white shaman, a shaman in a white robe, and he's sort of he is um um advancing uh um examples of of nourishment um warfare and community you know three of the um sort of the oldest in many ways some of the oldest concepts yeah so i mean that's you know our dna all goes back there none of us so i I can't really answer your question, Lisa, but um, it's worth thinking, certainly worth thinking about. Yeah, because I think we mm -hmm. have that, we forget, we kind of separate ourselves from the animal world when the animals are already doing this, but we say we're smarter than the animals. That's where we think now, but I think we just haven't really explored more of science will keep teaching us, mm -hmm. right? And keep changing. And <clears throat> I... Whale has a 400 pound brain. Tease. And they are just mythical and such intelligent and interesting creatures. Yeah. And character in this book, 52 Blue, is a very intelligent creature. You know, very... just because an animal doesn't act the way we do doesn't make it less intelligent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not at all. It really doesn't. You know, so I don't know, you know, if somebody goes in and they have, okay, a brain from a badger. And then they have a brain from a wildebeest, once predator, once prey. Um, and then they have a brain from a dog raised by humans. What's going to be the difference? Yeah, the size of the brain, how much it has in its brain for so many years of living. Is it that different? Mm -hmm. I mean... And then if you take a human brain and put it right next to them, okay, bigger brain, does that make it a better brain? Hummingbirds are smart and they got a tiny brain. Yeah, so, well, it, it's, I, I always think it's all, at the end of the day, it's still always based on survival mm. because it's who we are. And have we forfeited our right it, humans the preeminent creatures supposedly have we forfeited our so, right to be stewards of the world i think we messed up big time i think we a lot of people try a lot of people don't try i think we learned the bottom dollar has taken precedence in a lot of ways which is sometimes negate our ideals and the things that we say we believe in like uh, we go to church we do this we do that we worship here we do this we do that but you know after an hour at church come home and do something that you shouldn't have done because you already said you wouldn't do it but you just did it uh oh <laughs> i think i think that i think that we um are the new kids on the block here still yeah i think the indigenous people of the lands so when i i'm not saying that white people are not indigenous people not of this country but i mean of other you know obviously from other countries but if you go back mm -hmm. to the true indigenous right roots maybe yeah there we can go okay sentience sentient beings absolutely um did, yeah. There were wars too, right? So they fought as well. They were territorial, but animals are as mm -hmm. well. But I, I just think now with the way the world is, I feel like we're still in kindergarten <laughs> as, a, yep. as, as a as a species, if we compare species. I know that's getting, we're going to get emails now, aren't we? <laughs> well, yeah. I don't, I don't want to mislead your listeners. Um, yeah. This sort of mystical, you know, it's a, it's mm -hmm. a very, it's a pretty basic story. Um, and the first 
sort of the first half of the book, which is before the fall, um, mm. which the time period between now and 2036, um, all deals with governance and our leaders. And there's many characters, some real characters. Pete Buttigieg, for example, is in there. Um, mm -hmm. there's characters whose names are slightly altered, who you might recognize, but um, there is a, um, the president at the time is this sort of, you know, just this kind of radicalized, hard right buffoon um, who managed to be elected by um, overturning election results. You're making me laugh. You're making me laugh. Yeah. Now, Nancy you know, kept, I mean, this is, this is the Nancy just going, look what Sid just did. <laughs> so, um, and that's, you know, the leaders of the world, climate change, AI, you know, it just all um, conspires together um, during the climax of the first part of the book, book. And as I described earlier, just before nuclear annihilation, um, mm -hmm. hacker group anonymous intervenes and turns it all off. Mm -hmm. And that's the, end of the world as we know it. And then the second half of the book. So the first part is written in past tense. Second part's written in present tense, which mm -hmm. is, interesting kind of a writer thing what mm -hmm. tenses mm -hmm. do you, what perspectives you know who's telling the mm -hmm. story narrator is it one character the kind of things i really pay a lot of attention to when i read a book and those are really um profound decisions in how a book is written mm -hmm. first part of the book is in past tense the um second part of the book is pre all present tense and it's in mm -hmm. interesting to always do that merge into from one to the other that segue you know, that that's always interesting to read that kind of um, part. I do have a silly question to ask now, because I know that when we drove through your area a few years back, you guys have a good radio station compared to some parts of the country. I'm just going to say. You have one of the best. You talking about Marfa Public Radio? Yes. And and I was I, I was asking this of a person the other day. Did you turn the radio on? Did you did you hear about the Marfa lights? And he's like, I don't but like, dude, you can't go there without like you have to turn the radio on because it's one of these few places that we have left in the country that actually have a radio station Two back. Arizona has a good <laughs> you have to go to the like out in the country to get it's some crazy radio stations. But you do. Is this where you heard the band? Is this how you heard that song? Was it out there or somewhere else? Um, The song about the whale. Mm hmm. Um, yes, it was a little segment they did. Okay, so let me allow me to put in a plug for my friends at Marfa Public Radio. Travis Babinick, Annie Rosenthal, who is a reporter. She grew up in what two blocks from me in Washington. And oh, um, Marfa Public wow. Radio is the NPR affiliate here. Right. Mm, awesome. Uh, so it's you know, they go back and forth in their newscast between like all things considered and local news. It's a fabulous award-winning radio station. Um, mm -hmm. and, you know, I happen to think that the National Public Radio Network is one of the best and last really straight news sources. These Agreed. Days. Yeah. You can get yeah. Marfa Radio streaming too. Oh, cool. Cool. You want. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's such a, such a great, uh, source of news. And awesome. And, yeah. And very, very smart, very erudite and above above the fray you might think of in a place like West Texas. You, because well, that's the truth, awesome. you know, I think it's true. Like we, the NPR affiliates is what you, if you go through like a city, you'll get something or you'll go through a college town. That's when you start to get interesting. You or get you go in the it. backwoods and somebody just like a bunch of cool people went there and, and like Tubek, like I said, Tubek has this, whereas you get into Tucson, you don't have this. It's weird because it's like not even... 45 minutes from each other how did this happen and you can be out in the middle like on the border out by Aravaca and um that area and you're hearing like somebody like understands the b-side of the album like thank you <laughs> that's all I want to say is like can we have the b-sides now and not the paid for playlist and so when you brought that up I had to because whenever we find like I always search and I drive us nuts, always searching for local, what's going on locally. 
Local yeah, radio. Whether it's newspapers, love it. TV, all of it, right? And and this day and age, it's even hard to find local TV because everything's streaming. But going through Marfa, I was like, oh, cool. And like you could feel mm -hmm. like you were there. They're talking to you. You were mm -hmm. there. It was a beautiful night. And then we got into a hailstorm. It was really cool. <laughs> but it was awesome. I mean, your area is like just, it is that wide open like desolate yet it's not desolate you know and it seems like a fun area too like I remember there was a like some I was was it in Marfa some restaurant was having a big old party man I was like dude let's let's go and let's, we don't have to get anywhere yet do we <laughs> I want a party so it seems like a good area well it's a unique um far west Texas which is the tail end of the Rockies you know people don't realize we're in the mountains oh, that's here. right yeah yeah mile high here where I live. Um, it is a very unique slice of the world. I mean, people normally associate uh, Texas with a certain kind of political persuasion, but it's quite progressive out here, Marfa being, you know, a very liberal place. I mean, this is sort of the heart of the whole Willie Nelson, Jerry Jeff Walker, Ray Wiley Hubbard, sort of the Michael Murphy kind of cosmic cowboy scene, Terlingua. Mm -hmm. And it's really quite progressive in the tri-county area but Fort davis um alpine oh, yeah. and marathon and uh it, you know people will come and visit me and just it blows their mind they just don't realize what what it's like out here it's just really a cool place to be very interesting place to be and you're an hour from the mexican border i was down in ohinaga last week to pick something up just across the border an hour away listening to Marfa Public Radio. And, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's just uh, it's a neat, neat spot. Awesome. It was a pleasure having you back on the show. Nancy's yeah. been raving and raving. Yep, yep, she's been raving. Um, yeah, and uh, she didn't even do her work for a full day reading your book, just saying. I read it. Well, because I was drawn into it. I want to ask you one last thing real quick. When yes. you come up with a character, um, are you looking at people from history? Are you looking at people you know or people that you just happen to see? Where do you draw the people from? Like, because they're very real. Yeah. Um, I get that kind of question a lot. I spend a lot mm. of time thinking about my characters. And mm. the, one of the fun things, right, again, a, sort of a writing thing about a trilogy is that, you know, with it has the same characters, several generations, is that mm. um, going in, you have an idea of what's going to happen to them. I'm very careful mm. about, you know, mapping out what I want for the story, uh, storyboards, et cetera, et cetera. But at a certain point, a character is going to kind of want to do something you hadn't expected. Is going to want to sort of grow organically in a certain way that you hadn't anticipated. And you can fight mm -hmm. it or you can just kind of go with it. And that's really mm -hmm. what I find the real magic in writing fiction. And um, my characters, I mean, for example, the president in the first part of the book, Nico Pompadour. Mm. Um, I love that. Name. Such a good name. That is such that's a so me up. perfect name. Like, that is so perfect. That's perfect. You, I mean, there's certainly characteristics you see in him of other politicians, right? <laughs> yeah. So yes, you know, you it's sort of a patchwork of people you know, um, and you know, you mentioned the the strong female characters. Mm. And I describe it. You know, there's a certain sort of woman like my mother um, in West Texas, and I describe it as who has a way with a petticoat and a 30-30. Yeah, right, oh. exactly. There you go. <laughs> yeah, don't mess with her. Special kind of, special breed of, of human um, indigenous to this area. You know, people will also ask me, well, where do you come up with these names? And the first book, um, it's funny, there's, a, you may have seen it, there's a big graveyard, a big cemetery in Dell City, right? And as I'm trying to think of names, I said, well, just go to the cemetery and get some names. Oh. I just walk through the cemetery and just 
got names and mixed and matched. And that was the, you know, the bedrock for the names and the characters in my book. Oh, oh, well, we'll go to cemetery. We go, we travel to cemeteries. That's, we have, yeah, a, we we're do. weird about it. We go yeah. to cemeteries and um, we've mm -hmm. learned more about historical figures that we didn't know about by going to cemeteries. They're magical places. They really are. And they're always beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, yeah, we were actually saying that we're going to start listing them as an actual park because of the peace, because of the nature, they're having to be protected and they are in dire need of protection and upkeep. A lot of master gardeners mm -hmm. go into uh, graveyards and um, help, you know, with the plants help. and everything. But there, in fact, um, there are people that go and cleave, clean gravestones Mm -hmm. um as part of therapy because if they've messed up in life they go in clean up the graves because there's no one doing mm -hmm. it um and they clean the grave whitewash it down or power wash it do it by hand maybe even with a toothbrush delicately be you know careful and they feel like they're giving back and cleaning up their life through cleaning up a, someone else's that has been left and lost so oh. Nice to think that might be so. Yeah. So that's, I just, yeah, the graveyard thing is, um, it, it's, 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 yeah, um, it's part of history. I mean, we, we go to graveyards and we always find snakes. No <laughs> make snakes, please. Oh yeah. You're <laughs> we're still looking for the, the horse, the horse, the grave of the horse. Uh, the horse in, the in uh, Coldwater, Michigan. He was in the civil war, fought six battles. Mm -hmm. I think it was. Came out unscathed, and, yeah. and who knew this teeny town in Michigan was the place where they bred horses that were specifically used in the Civil War? Yeah. Well, up at the university where I work, it's Sol Ross State University, part of the Texas system. There's a beautiful um, bronze sculpture in the middle of it, and what it is, mm. it's, a, it's a testament to um, the um, the cavalry. And it's a horse without a rider. Mm. And the, the concept being that the horse will just stand there waiting and not knowing whether his, his soldier is coming back. And so it's just mm. a slow horse, sort of windblown, you know, standing alone on the, you know, on the waiting. The oh, we need, because we, we do horse stories across the country too. See, we have all these little things that we, do, we have to go mm -hmm. there now. We'll have to do that now. Before I forget, when you brought that up, it dawned on me. We have to ask this final question. <laughs> it's like, we'll sit and talk to yeah. you for hours, Sid. Um, yeah. But um, okay, so the seventh flag, we would be remiss not to get you to explain mm -hmm. the seven flags of Texas. Well, I was not, we had just been to Nacogdoches, I think, the first time we talked. And they okay. had nine, right? They had nine flags, I think. Well, so everybody knows six flags. The, the amusement park, right? Right. Which was originally, as a kid, it's called Six Flags Over Texas. It was an amusement park um, outside of Dallas, where I grew up. Mm -hmm. And each section of this park thematically related to one people that ruled, you know, one flag that flew over Texas, whether it be the French or the Spanish or the Mexican. Mm -hmm. So there's these six flags. And the seventh flag, the notion of the seventh flag is that there is a new nationality now, not only in Texas. Mm. And this is the seventh flag, this amalgam of cultures and languages and backgrounds um, that um, defines what citizenship is in mm. the new world, in this new world. And of course, you go to the to the final book, Algorithms, and mm. Citizenship boils down to, you know, the couple hundred square miles you can defend. No flag. Mm. Yeah. No, just all different kinds of people. And um, mm. you know, so, again, what does it mean to be citizen? What is your commitment to your community, um, to your people, to your family? How do you subsist? Um, and it's it's brutal in many ways. Mm. Everyone, SidBallman.com is the website and go get the book. 
follow him on his tour as well if you can go uh, to one of his events. Uh, so you've got Seventh Flag is the first one, Murmuration and Algorithms. Uh, that is out August 1st, 2023, mm -hmm. but you can pre-order it now. Uh, keep up yes. with us at BigBlendRadio.com, and we want to thank our friends over at BooksForward.com. Um, they introduce us to the best authors and We've been working with them, I think, 20 years, even pre-podcasting. So um, something like that. So everyone, thank you so much. Thank you, Sid. It's good to see you. Thanks, and uh, we'll see you when we, we head southwest of Texas, <laughs> of where we are. Come on by. Um, sit on my back porch. We'll have a cold beer. It's, I feel like we're old friends now. We've known each other. Yeah, for a long few years now. now. Yeah. Intimate conversations. And I sure appreciate you. Uh, focusing in on my book and give me this opportunity to talk about it a little bit. Oh, you bet. You bet. We can't wait for you the bet. next. And we know you're working on something. So everyone stay tuned for cool. that. But for right now, you've got the trilogy. So get reading. <laughs>